continuing this morning our uh, study through uh, the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark uh, chapter 3, and uh, the passage that we're going to be studying together is printed there for you in the bulletin, and so uh, you, can, you can follow along as we read. Uh, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem and Edomia, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might uh, be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the, the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boandrus, uh, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and uh, Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and and we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and uh, take these words and plant them in our hearts and in our minds uh, that we might understand them and They might shape us and lead us to our Savior, Jesus, that we would receive him with faith and obedience. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, uh, today we are talking about one of the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith. And every week uh, during our services, if you worship here at Christ Church, every week after the sermon, we always say together the words of the Apostles' Creed, which gives kind of a summary of all the, the most important kind of beliefs in the Christian faith. And if you were here a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jonathan gave a sermon on one of the lines from the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's one of the basic things of being a Christian. We believe that we have the forgiveness of sins in, in, in Jesus' death on the cross. Well, today we're looking at another line from the creed. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And I know that that's a line that's raised some questions for some people. Why do we say that we believe in the Catholic Church when we're not Catholic? We're a Presbyterian church. And what you really mean is that uh, we're not a Roman Catholic church. And that word uh, Catholic does not belong just to Roman Catholics. It's a word that's been used throughout history by Christians to describe the global community that, that Jesus is uh, building around the gospel. And, uh, and so why do we need to say every week, I believe in the church? Why do we need to say that? Well, if you have been in the church very long, you know how hard it is to be a member 
of a church. Uh, Jesus is gathering a group of sinners like you and me, and we didn't choose one another, and he sticks us together and says, you all are now going to be a family. And there are bound to be problems when that happens. Jesus knew there was going to be problems, and, uh, and he is not surprised by them. And yet, we say, I believe, because anyone truly living as a disciple of Jesus knows that I cannot really follow Jesus. I cannot deeply know Jesus without a community like this. As flawed as the community is, uh, this is where I receive the grace of Jesus. And so no matter how hard it gets, I need to believe in the church and I need to find a way to stay connected to it. And so today I want to dig in uh, deeper to that phrase, the Holy Catholic Church, um, by looking at these verses from Mark chapter 3. In this passage, Jesus is uh, instituting the church around himself through the 12 apostles. He's appointing the, the 12 uh, apostles, and, and the church has, has really existed throughout history. But here, um, uh, it's being built around Jesus through these ministers, these pastors, these teachers or preachers. And this institution that Jesus began here in Mark chapter 3 is now 2 billion people strong in every nation, every culture around the world. It's an incredibly diverse community that Jesus has built over the last 2,000 years and is continuing to build in our day. So this morning, I'd like to answer for us uh, two simple questions from this passage related to the Holy Catholic Church. This is what they, uh, the, these two questions, what does holy mean and what does Catholic mean? If we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, what does holy mean and what does Catholic mean? And, uh, and I think this passage has real insight into showing how both of those things, they go together, holy and Catholic. They're, they're a pair that need and support one another and gives us a vision of what kind of community we are a part of. So two questions this morning. The first is this. What does holy mean? What does it mean that the church is holy? And uh, Pastor Jonathan has, has helped me understand this, that at the heart of the word holy is, is devotion. Holy things are things that are devoted to God. So if you read in the Old Testament, there were the priests in the Old Testament who were holy because they were devoted to the service of God or the gold in the temple was holy because it was devoted to the worship of God in the temple. And some of you are people who have a very strong loyalty impulse. You know, when you're devoted to someone or something, you are deeply devoted. You're passionately, fiercely devoted. There's like a fire in you, that a protectiveness and a defensiveness uh, and a passion about the things that you are devoted to. And that kind of passion is what is in the word holy. And the Bible tells us that the most holy one is God himself. God is the one who's most devoted to his purposes and to his kingdom in the world. And so when we believe in the Holy Church, it's that kind of devoted passion that should come to mind for us. And so what does it mean that the church is holy? Well, I want to give two answers to that. The first, it means that the church is devoted to God. The church is devoted to God. The church is the community that is devoted to God and to God's purposes in the world, so which means when we, you hear the word that the church is holy, it means that we are a people with a mission. We don't just exist for us. We exist for God's purposes, for his kingdom, and not just for us, but for those who are out in the world and for the nations around the world that God is calling to himself. And you see the sense of mission in this passage if you look at verse uh, 7 where it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea 
and a great crowd followed. Um, and then, uh, and uh, so there's all these people that are coming to Jesus. And if you skip down to verse 9, it says, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And so the picture of Jesus and his disciples here is all kinds of people coming to find healing, physical healing, spiritual healing. And that's still what Jesus is doing in every nation to this day. And there are a couple of things to note about these verses. Um, the first is, you'll notice that the unclean spirits recognize Jesus and they say, you are the son of God. And actually this has happened earlier in the, in the gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, there was an unclean spirit who says, said to Jesus, I know who you are. And what did the unclean Spirit say, who did the unclean spirit say that Jesus was? You are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One. You are the one who is devoted. You are passionately devoted to the purposes of God in the world. And so our mission as a church, our holiness and, and devotion is derived from Jesus' ultimate devotion to God. And the second thing that we notice in these verses, it says that all these people are coming and they're pressing around Jesus. People are coming from all these regions around. They hear that he can heal people. And, you know, when Jesus, who's the Son of God, became a human, his body had, you know, was finite. It could only be in this one little region by this sea. And so if Jesus is going to bring healing to all the nations of the earth, how is he going to do that with just his one little body? Well, the way that he does that is he dies on the cross for the sins of the world. He's raised from the dead. And then his body ascends into heaven. That's where Jesus is now. He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and then he has sent his Holy Spirit to fill his disciples, and his disciples have gone out throughout the earth. So in all the little communities like this one that are scattered in every nation, Jesus has filled uh, his presence in these communities. So that's how people come close to Jesus is through us. So when we say the church is holy, it means that Jesus' mission, his devotion to fill God, God's, fulfill God's purposes in the world, he has passed to us. So what does it mean that the church is holy? It means that the church is devoted to God. But there is uh, another half to that. In, in preparing this message, it came to mind um, that not only is the church devoted to God, but also I think that the church is holy means that God is devoted to the church. And even though the word holy means devoted to God, when it refers to the church in the Bible, it's often paired with the idea that the church is the bride of Christ. So uh, let me give you a couple examples. In Revelation 21, this is what it says. And I saw the holy city. You hear the holy. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So you hear holy bride. This is the holy bride. Or again in Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself for her so that he might present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. And so when we think that holiness means fierce devotion. It's not just that we're fiercely devoted to God. 
but we are the bride of Christ. It's like Jesus is fiercely devoted to us like a man is to uh, uh, his wife, to, his, uh, to the love of his life. And you might wonder, well, do you see any of that fierce love and attraction in Jesus in this passage? Well, the thing that brought it to my mind was verse 13 there where it says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. I think it's an amazing way for Jesus to, to describe Jesus' relationship to his disciples, to us. Why are we all here? Why are we all a part of this church? It's because Jesus desired us. And you might say, I am so messed up. What, my, I am, why would Jesus be desired to me? And, and that is the mystery of the gospel, is where your sin and brokenness seemed so great, the fierceness of his love and devotion was even greater Jesus wanted you. That's the reason you're here. It's not because you wanted him. It's because he wanted you. And if any of you think, you know, this sounds kind of weird. It sounds like, you know, using a sexual metaphor to, of a man's attraction to, sexual attraction to a woman is how Jesus feels about the church. Is that strange to use a metaphor like that? Well, actually, that's, that's backwards. Because human beings are symbols. That's what we are. We are made in the image of God. And to be made in the image of God means you are, your life is pointing to something bigger than yourself. And so why did God create sexual attraction? Why did he create that single-mindedness, that deep desire? It is, what is it a symbol of? What is the meaning behind it? It is a picture for us, a, a small, imperfect reflection of the passionate devotion that Jesus has for his bride. That is how Jesus feels about us. We are the holy church. And so what does it mean that the, the church is holy? What should come to mind for you when you hear that? You should hear fierce devotion, passion, desire, loyalty. You should hear a mission that I'd be willing to die for, that level of devotion. Paul Fredette once told me, if a person does not have something in their life they would die for, it is a tragedy. If you go through life not having anything in your life that you would be willing to die for, it's a tragedy. But you do have something. You are the holy church. Jesus has died for us and we've offered our lives back to him and said we will die for you if we need to. We are devoted to God because he was first devoted to us. And so we believe in the holy church. Now, when you hear about holiness as a fierce loyalty, a passion, a desire, and a devotion... If you're a very passionate person, you probably know that one of the things you need alongside your passion is some order in your life, to bring sanity, to bring, to channel your passion, to give direction to your passion. And the church is the same way. You know, at the heart of the church, the energy and life of the church is the, the fierce uh, love of Jesus for his bride. That's what gives the, 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 the life and, and power and fuels the energy of the church. But paired with the word holy is this other word, Catholic. The church is both holy and Catholic. And so what does it mean then that the church is Catholic? And that's our, our second question for today. What does Catholic mean? And I want to answer that today by saying it this way, that the church is a universal authoritative institution. The church is a universal authoritative institution. Now, when I say authoritative institution, does that just make your heart sing? You're just like, I love authoritative institutions. And uh, 
Probably not. That's, our culture is suspicious of authoritative institutions. We're suspicious of both authority and institutions. But I think there is real blessing in that this is how God has made his church. So I want to I take it in two parts. First, talk about what does it mean that Catholic means universal. And then talk about what does it mean that Catholic means an authoritative institution. So first, the Catholic church is universal. When we say, I believe in the Catholic Church, it's both saying, I believe in what we're doing right here. I believe I need to be a part of a local church body, and I need to be connected to a local church body. But it also means, I, I believe in more, the church is more than just Christ Church Bellingham, or the church is more than the Presbyterian Church in America. That's our denomination. The thing I believe in and am devoted to is the church in every nation and every culture, the universal church. And being in a culture that right now is talking so much about race, talking about diversity, the Catholicity of the church is so important. And you see how this passage, like so many places in the Bible, gives a list of places. Do you see that there in the end of verse 7 where it says, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and uh, Edomia and from uh, beyond the Jordan and from around the Tyre and Sidon. Now, these are all places that were in the, the promised land that God had given to Israel in the Old Testament. But commentators say that this, the geographic region that's being described here is surprisingly big. That this early in Jesus' ministry, already people from all over the region are traveling to come find Jesus and bring their sick and to be healed by him. And the mention of Edomia and Tyre and, and Sidon uh, suggests to us that already People that are not Jewish, people who are outside the Jewish community are also coming to Jesus. So all kinds of people. And this is a precursor of the story as it, that happens in the New Testament as God's kingdom expands. Lists of places like this expand all the way through the Mediterranean. And now in our day expand all over the world. And teaches us that the kingdom of God does not discriminate based on race or ethnicity or cultural background. Jesus is building a universal multi-ethnic church. And the Catholic Church of Jesus Christ continues to reach the hearts of every ethnic group on the planet. And late modern American academics might call the church an oppressive institution, but the diverse peoples of the world, especially the poor, don't seem to agree with that. I mean, in our day... 85% of the church now is from the majority world, from Africa and South America and from Asia. So anyone who thinks that Christianity is a white man's religion does not know the statistics about the church. It's not even close to true. And uh, uh, Africa in the last century has gone from being 9% uh, Christian to 60% Christian. Almost 700 million Christians in Africa. That's twice the size of the United States. And when this passage says that great crowds from all over were coming to Jesus, that is still happening. And so when we say, I believe in the Catholic Church, what should come to mind is the Anglicans in Uganda, the Presbyterians in Malawi, the underground Christians in China, the persecuted Christians in Afghanistan, the Pentecostal Christians in Texas, the Lutherans in Sweden, the Orthodox in Romania, the Reformed in Indonesia. Basically, all those who believe in their hearts in the God and the gospel of the Apostles' Creed, they are our brothers and sisters. Catholicity means only Jesus can bring together the nations of the world. Only Jesus has proved to be able to do that. 
And a couple of other things to mention about the diversity of the Catholic Church. The diversity of the Catholic Church isn't just across, you know, the earth and, you know, in all the nations, but it also goes across time. The Catholic Church, the church is all God's people also throughout history. It goes back to David and, and to Moses and Abraham in the Old Testament, even into the dark past of our first parents, of Adam and Eve, who first heard the gospel right after the fall when God promised to send them a savior. And all likelihood is that Adam and Eve believed they are in heaven. They were the beginning of the church. There has always been a church in history. There have always been those who are looking to God for a savior and looking to him for his grace. But the, the other diversity that we see in this passage is the political diversity. Um, you'll notice that uh, there's a list of the names of the apostles that, uh, that Jesus appoints. And if you look at verse 18, it says, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot. So you have Matthew and Simon, Simon the, the Zealot. Well, Matthew was a tax collector, we know. That means he worked for the Roman Empire. And Simon was a zealot, which meant he was basically a terrorist who was trying to start a revolt against the Roman Empire. These are two people on opposite ends of the political spectrum. And Jesus chooses the two of them and says, you are going to be a part of my leadership structure as I build my church. And of course, their political views, both of them are going to be changed as they become disciples of Jesus. There is a diversity. All this diversity is the universal Catholic church. And you might hear about the diversity of the church and think, wow, it's beautiful, this global community and all these ethnic groups and backgrounds who all have been transformed by the love of Jesus. What is the church like? It must be so open-minded. You know, it, it, it must be so accepting that such a diverse group of people would come into the church. Well, I'm sorry to say that's not what you find if you go to the global church. You won't find an open-minded and accepting community. What you'll find is a very dogmatic community that believes the Bible is the word of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, uh, it's a community that believes um, in the supernatural, in angels and demons, and in healings. And it's a community that believes in authority as well. And the things that modern white secular people think make for diversity simply don't make for diversity. If there is one person who has a track record for forming a diverse global community, it is Jesus Christ. And so as flawed as churches are, when you look at the Catholic church, you say, Jesus, people from all backgrounds love Jesus. They love him. And so that's the second surprising thing about the Catholic church is not only that it's so universal, so this global, diverse community, but the other thing about the Catholic church is the Catholic church is an authoritative institution. An authoritative institution. And if you have a, a picture of Jesus in your mind that he was kind of like a hippie sage who just kind of walked around telling people to love each other and can't we just all get along, that's not the picture that you'll find in the Bible. Jesus was quite, quite clear that he believed himself to be the true king of the world. He is the true king of the world, and he is building a worldwide kingdom where he is the king. And how do effective kings expand their kingdoms? They have to develop an effective administration. You need a cabinet. You need, you know, overseeing different branches of your government. 
You need people under you, ambassadors and generals and heads of state who are endowed with your authority. That is how a king rules. And this is precisely what we see Jesus doing in this passage. If you look at verse 14, it says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles. An apostle means a sent one, one who is sent with authority. So that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Jesus is giving his authority as the king to these apostles. And that's why in the Nicene Creed, the Nicene Creed, similar to the Apostles' Creed, is just kind of an expansion of it. It doesn't just say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. It says, we believe in the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. It means we believe in the church that goes back to Mark chapter 3 that Jesus was building here, the institution that Jesus was building here. And the gospel that they believed and that they have been passing down to churches for the last 2,000 years, that tradition we are a part of and we believe in. And so if you go ask an African bishop if he thinks Jesus was just a hippie who was, you know, building a kind of squishy community of people who love one another, they say, absolutely not. It is an institution with authority. And I think for people who say, I don't believe in institutional religion, that's a very individualistic, white American thing to say. Because communities are institutions. Lasting communities have authority built into them. And that doesn't mean all communities uh, or institutions are healthy. You can have uh, unhealthy institutions, unhealthy authorities. But take, for example, a family. You know, when we, if we were to say the church is a family, we'd say, yeah, I like that. That sounds a lot warmer than an institution. But a family is an institution. A family has a clear membership. There are some people that are in the family and some people that aren't. It's clear who's in and who's out. The family has an authority structure. The parents are the authority in the home. The father is the head of the household. And if families have traditions that give shape and define this is who we are as a family. And families are there to form people. Children grow up in a family and that's how they're formed and prepared to live their life in the world. This is exactly what institutions do. Those things. They have an authority structure and they form people. They bring people into community and they have traditions. And you might say, well, the reason we don't trust authorities is because of how often authorities hurt people. And that's fair. Churches hurt people with their authority. And I think that's why it's important for us to understand the kind of authority that Jesus has given to the church. What kind of authority has Jesus given to the church? Jesus has not given the church coercive authority. Coercive authority is when you force people to do things. So the government has coercive authority. So if you assault someone or you murder someone, the government has authority to come into your house, grab your body, put handcuffs on you, threaten you with a gun, lock you in a prison. That's coercive authority. To, it has the power to make you do things. The church does not have that kind of authority. We cannot make people do things. The church cannot force you to do anything. So what authority does Jesus give to his apostles in this passage? Authority to preach and to serve. They're given authority to preach the word of God and to serve people. And actually in our church, we have a book of church order. And at the very beginning of the book of church order, it says the powers of this church are declarative and ministerial. That's the only power we have to declare God's word and to minister, to serve people. 
And so if you're sinning in the church, what power do we have to stop you? The only power we have is to say this is what the Bible says. So you should know that this is what God's word says and you will have to deal with God to tell you the truth. And to say if you want help with your sin or to stop sinning, we're glad to help you. We can declare to you God's word and we can help you, but we can't make you stop. That's the extent of the church's authority. But I will tell you the Bible is clear and I think the global church is clear that if you want community in your life, It only happens through an authoritative institution like the church. And that might be surprising to us. And can an institution become dead? Can an institution become a bureaucracy that's cold and has lost its personal touch? Absolutely. So how do we as a church not become cold and dead and not lose our personal touch? This is where holy and Catholic come together. The holiness of the church is the passion of Jesus' devotion for his bride. We are the holy bride of Christ. He is drawn to us. He is attracted to us with his fierce devotion and love. And he is bringing people into his church in every nation and every land. And the church is filled with sinful and broken people. It is going to hurt us. It's going to be hard to be a member of a church and to be a part of a church. But the reason we say, I believe in the church... It's because Jesus believed in the church. Jesus instituted the church knowing all these problems would happen. But Jesus promises to be with and in his church. He is here. And so every week we come, it's an article of faith to say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we uh, thank you for your your word um, so deep with truth. And uh, Lord, truths that we need to hear that that are uh, not intuitive to us. Uh, We see that we often run from uh, authority and institution. And Lord, we pray that our church would be an institution of love and truth and grace. Keep us from being cold and dead. And may the passionate, holy love of Jesus be which, that which ignites our hearts and fuels our life together and fuels our mission. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.